0: Morning. We're going to be looking at two passages, Luke 17 and Hebrews 12. It's always helpful to be able to see the text for yourself. And so, if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. Luke 17 is found on page 876, and Hebrews is 1009. When we come to Luke 17, we find Jesus nearing Jerusalem for the last time. A couple of chapters later is this triumphal entry. And he's investing his final words to his disciples. You can imagine, you know, the days are shortening and the the group he's talking to is his family, his disciples, his closest circle. And he's trying to teach them how to, to follow him how to live for him after he's gone. And he addresses two key areas that are constantly involved in the life of the disciple. One of those areas we talked about last week, finances, and this week is forgiveness. Now, talking about finances was quite a challenge last week. Someone after one of the services came up to me and said, well, nobody can ever say you shied away from the most difficult topics and i took that as a compliment but unfortunately for you this week dealing with finances is far easier than dealing with forgiveness at least for most people for me to be generous is not nearly with my money is not nearly as difficult as it is to be generous with my forgiveness and so this topic might be very hard for some of us Because we have a lot of things that have wounded us, or we have wounded others, and so we're going to have to listen carefully, and there's no way I can say everything I would want to say about forgiveness, but I want to say it in this way, as an outline. We want to uh, pay attention to Jesus when we think about uh, forgiveness. We want to pay attention to ourselves, and then we want to pay attention to our forgiveness of others and it goes in that order to first pay attention to jesus secondly pay attention to yourself and then pay attention to how you're actually forgiving other people Uh, so let's stand and read luke 17 we'll begin with verse 3 and go to verse 6 pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins if your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's Word. Paying attention to Jesus, paying attention to yourself, and then paying attention to your forgiveness of others. Uh, When we talk about forgiveness, it's complex. It's, uh, for many of us, we have very deep wounds We're wrestling to learn how to forgive, and so I want to just pray for us before we look at this text. Lord, you are the one who knows every heart and every wound, wounds given, wounds received. And I pray that some answers to forgiveness, some healing of wounds would begin or continue today by what you have to tell us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First, paying attention to yourself, or paying attention to Jesus. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, remember he was praying and seemed like things were happening when Jesus prayed, and so his disciples said, hey, can you teach us to pray? And so that's called the Lord's Prayer, but maybe it's better called the Disciples' Prayer. This is the, the regular pattern of prayer that Jesus gave the disciples. Hey, this should, this should be every day you're praying for these kinds of things. And you'll remember that in that regular pattern of prayer, there's a prayer about forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our, our debts. Sometimes it's listed and so I want to ask just a personal question: What's your personal frequency needing forgiveness from God? Like when you think, okay, I, I, I just I need forgiveness. What what's generally your personal frequency need? Is it like a manicure you need it about every three or four weeks? You know, you, you come here and you ask for forgiveness, you have a silent moment of confession, and you're pretty good for three or four weeks before you need a fresh application. Anybody in the three or four week plan? Probably not. see that uncomfortableness. I, I wonder if it's three or four days. But most of the time, Paul, I do the confession and I get most of the way through the week without really needing any more forgiveness, but, you know... I need it every Sunday. No? A little, a little more sooner than that? How about three or four hours? How about three or four minutes? I mean, some of us are in that range. Are we not like, oh, my gosh. I i mean, the frequency in which I need forgiveness, whatever y- yours is, it's pretty frequent, is it not? its It's all the time. And you know the prayer goes on. Forgive us our trespasses, and what's the next two words? As we, these are, you got to circle these words when you read this passage. Forget, Lord, would you forgive us our trespasses as we forgive each other? See, here's the pattern, and, and then here's the exercise. So what's the frequency that Paul Phillips needs forgiveness? Well, it's pretty frequent. And it's sometimes the same sin over and over. Is it, am I the only one here? I mean, I asked for forgiveness for this yesterday, and I'm back at it today. And I'm asking over and over and over again. But I wonder if your frequency with the Lord is the same frequency you give to each other. Or is there a pretty big gap between that? Like every time you come to the Lord with your problem that's pretty frequent, you, you are hoping He's going to forgive. But by golly, after three or four times with my wife or my son or my neighbor, I'm done. Right? But that's an important thing. Forgive us our debts. Would you pay something for us, Jesus, as we forgive those who've created a dent or a debt against us? So in our text, we can see that Jesus' frequency... Seven times a day here. Sometimes he talks about it as seven times 70. You can tell it gives the disciples heartburn. Because right after he says it, what do they say? Increase our faith. I mean, like like we, like we don't have the capacity to forgive the same thing seven times in the day. We, like we run out of forgiveness capacity after one or two or three times. Certainly we can't do it seven times. And it's because forgiveness is so difficult. I love C.S. Lewis's thoughts on forgiveness. He says in one place, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I mean, oh, you should forgive that person. But then when it happens to you, oh, okay, um, hey, it's different. It's more complex. In another place, he says, there's no use talking as if forgiveness were easy. You know the old jo- old joke, you've given up smoking once, you've given up a dozen times. So you, this habit, you say you've given it up, but you, you keep giving it up. In the same way I could say of a certain man, I have forgiven him for what he did that day. Actually, I've forgiven him more times than I can count. For we find the work of forgiveness has to be done over and over. You find that? We forgive... We, we kill the resentment that comes with the damage. And a week later, some chain of thought carries us back to the original offense and we discover the old resentment blazing away as if nothing had happened. You ever have that? You, you've really forgiven. You're trying to sort of get rid of that resentment, not not want revenge, and you feel there's some distance like, hey, I've, I'm gaining some distance between me thinking about it, but then something happens, and it's like a blazing fire. I'm right back at it. We all need to forgive our brothers 70 times 7, not only for 490 offenses, but for one offense. Sometimes one offense is going to need you to forgive 490 times because it's a wound, it's a dent, it's damage that keeps coming back in different places over your lifetime and you need a fresh round of forgiveness for that. So how does Jesus respond to the disciples' request for greater faith? Verse 6, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed. You could say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and go to the sea, and it would obey. So Jesus, I love how he's always talking in pictures, because I think in pictures. And he decides to say, okay, these guys think they need more faith. That's what they think. And he says, if you had faith like a mustard seed, a mustard seed is a little bit larger than one single grain of sand. So he's just saying you just need the the tiniest amount of faith. If you have the tiniest amount, that would be enough. And it would be enough to uproot a mulberry tree. We don't know what this tree looks like, but it's kind of a stocky, thick tree with really thick roots that grow out wide and deep. So a mulberry tree is a tree that lasts So Jesus picks the smallest amount of faith against the hardest object to move. And he's saying if you just had the smallest amount of faith, the deepest damage that's been done, if you applied that faith, you could uproot. You could uproot. You could offer forgiveness. So it's very important for us to understand what Jesus is telling his disciples here. And that is it's not the size of their faith that matters. It's the object of their faith that matters. See, he's not saying, well, you need a lot more faith. No, you need a lot more focus on me. I'm the object of your faith. And if you just have the smallest amount of faith in me, then that will be enough to uproot the biggest damage that's happened to you. So maybe as a way of illustration, this morning when you sat down in your chair, you exercised some amount of faith in your chair. Maybe you didn't think much about it. Or maybe you were really worried. Maybe you kind of looked underneath and said, I don't know, this thing's sturdy enough for me today. But either way, you exercised some amount of faith. But when you sat down, what really mattered? Your faith or the chair? What really mattered was the chair, right? Right? I mean, I could have a tiny bit of faith, or I could have a large bit of faith, but when I sit down, what I need is the chair to stay there. That's what I need. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. I'm the chair. So whether you have a little bit or a lot, just sit down in me, and that's going to be enough. If you really trust that I've taken all of your sins, past, present, and future, whether your future is every three to four weeks, or three to four days, or three to four minutes... I'm going to take all those sins, and I've completely paid for them. That debt that you created, I paid it down. It's finished. If you really trust that, then as you turn from that and then look at each other, then you have enough faith to then start the work of forgiveness towards other people. Matthew 18, well, Hebrews 12 this is where he says, "Make sure that no one fails, or see to it that no one misses the grace of God." See, when you when you start thinking about forgiveness, the starting point has to be, "I can't miss the grace of God in my own life." That's why he says, For, "Lord, forgive us our debts." As we forgive others. I need need to have a fresh understanding of the amount of debt that Jesus has paid for before I turn to try to pay down the debt of somebody else. In Matthew 18, there's a great parable. Remember this parable? The owner comes, and uh, there's a servant who owes him millions of dollars. It's It's a sum that's so large he couldn't possibly pay back. And the owner says... I forgive you. It's just massive. And then that guy goes out and finds people who owe him like a daily wage, $100. And what does he do? Remember? He chokes them. Give me my money back. See, he he didn't appropriate the forgiveness he got given to the forgiveness that he was going to have to extend And Jesus in the parable throws this guy in jail. Says, "If you, if you," and then he looks at his disciples. You don't learn how to forgive; God's not going to forgive you. Very powerful illustration. So, so when you are hurt and you are going to be really hurt, and you want to choke somebody, before you do that, not suggesting you do it. I'm just saying, at least before you do it, look to the cross pay attention to Jesus. And as you pay attention to Jesus, then you can turn and pay attention to someone else. Secondly, pay attention to yourself. And I do think these are in, in an order. Chapter I mean in verse 3, what does it say? Pay attention to yourself. It's an easy point to have. Pay attention to yourself. Jesus says something very short, very significant, very shaping for our souls about forgiveness, and it feels like um, a railroad crossing. When the the lights come on and the the arms come down, uh, you're, you're just about ready to intersect somebody who's hurt you, and he wants you to stop. And first, pay attention to him, and second, pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Before you pay attention to the other person who is going to get attention, in case you're nervous about this, but stop and pay attention to yourself. When you've been offended, when you've been wounded, when you've been hurt, before you respond, see, Jesus knows the heart, He knows the first impulses when you're hurt is to go out and choke somebody, to want revenge. He says, let's slow down before you say anything, before you rebuke, before you draw a boundary, before you lay down the law, before you give somebody a piece of your mind. Slow down. Pay attention to yourself. He knows our instant reflex to pain is to focus all of our energy on the other person, which which may... There is an appropriateness to that, but it has to be deliberate. And if, it's, if, you, if you don't slow down, your, your energy towards the other person could be out of balance. A friend of mine called me a few years back, and he was wounded by what a certain community had said and did to him. He, had, he really had a right to be frustrated, angry, disappointed, and he thought the best response, since it was kind of a broadcast community, was to write an email. And he had formed this email, he wanted to run it by me first. Really, he called looking for approval. Have you ever done this? You're not looking for advice, you just find the person that you think is gonna say, Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you should do that. So he had a fiery email that he was about ready to send out to this wide wide cast community. Now, does that sound like a good idea just by on its face? No. Take my advice. Emails for information, not emotion. All right? So that's free advice right there. That's that's not even part of the sermon. I haven't written that down. But he was about ready to launch out all this emotion, and he read it to me with emotion. And I said, you feel better now? Let's delete that. I mean, don't save it in a file because you'll come back to it. Just delete it. Because I knew this guy had pain in the past that was informing this current pain. And he was uploading his past pain and then dumping it on this one circumstance. Have you ever done that? And he wasn't paying attention to himself. How many of us have regrets over saying something to something that was wrong, but it was over exaggerated because we had all this past pain and past hurt that really wasn't dealt with, and so we just decided, this is the time. I'm going to unload 20 years of pain on this one circumstance. And if you're not careful, if you don't pay attention to yourself, you could easily do that. Pay attention to yourselves. The writer in hebrews 12 says this another reason to pay attention to yourself and i love his imagery it has to do with trees and roots so we need to as disciples make every effort to live at peace and be careful beware that no root of bitterness you hear that phrase springs up and causes trouble trouble for you and trouble for others because the writer knows that you have to pay attention to yourself because if you don't correctly learn to forgive somebody, bitterness gets lodged in your soul. And it doesn't just damage you, it damages people around you. It's like a boiling pot. It could spill over and burn a lot of people. I have a tree in my yard that I cut down many years ago. It's growing too close to my house and you know, I had a tree guy come by and cut it out and he had the grinder, which is so cool if you're a guy. So I just wanted to try that out. Thought I'd chew up my foot, so I didn't, but and it was gone. I mean I put some nice mulch over and planted some flowers. That was probably about ten years ago. Guess what I see every spring? Little trees <laughs> growing through my flower bed. Why? Little roots that we didn't get. I mean, we got all the things that you could see, but there were some things you couldn't see, and we didn't get those. And when you don't get the things you can't see, they they sprout, they grow. So the writer is saying, hey, we got to get the things you can see, and you got to be aware of the things that you can't see, this unforgiveness, because it can get lodged in your soul, and it can come back out. Nancy and I were talking about this, my wife and... How this plays out sometimes in regular conversations, see if you're familiar with this, you're talking to somebody who's wounded or hurt, they're describing their pain, and you're listening, and then at the end, they almost always end with something like this, what is it, but I'm okay, you ever done that, I'm over it. I mean, you spent the last 20 minutes telling me about it, but it doesn't seem like you're okay or over it. But do, you, do, you, do you, I want you to feel that because you've done this, I've done this. Something is sprouting. I got a pain or a wound. I got a root that I didn't address, and I'm in a conversation with a friend, and I'm willing to say something, but then at the end, I've got to cover it back over. Well, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm over it. You're, hey, guess what? You're not over it. But we, we like, like lie to ourselves. We try to fool ourselves. And you know, you're not fooling yourself. You're not, you know it. It's lodged there. And if it's not addressed, if it's not seen, if it's not brought out into the light, if it's not uprooted, it's going to cause pain for you. It's going to cause pain for, for other people. Pete Scazzaro is a writer. I'll send you some resources this week, so you don't have to remember all these quotes and names. He's written several books, excellent books about emotional health. And one of his great quotes, he just talks about how uh, emotionally unhealthy most of us are, and then we become Christians, and sometimes think, well, I became Christian, so that's all gone away. And he says this, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you've got grandma in your bones. You may have Jesus in your heart, but you got grandma in your bones. In other words, you got some root systems, some heritage, you got some past. It's still there even though you have Jesus in your heart. It's Pete's way of saying you have the transforming power of Jesus available, but you still have old wounds, old emotional damage that may come from a long way back. Listen, some of us have roots of bitterness growing in our lives, that belonged to someone else. It's not your root, it was your mom's or your dad's and it made it into your garden. And now you're just kind of carrying that root that's never been addressed. You got Jesus in your heart, but you still have grandma or grandpa in your bones. And if it's not uprooted, if it's not dealt with, if you don't first pay attention to yourself, then this what is what happens, and everyone in this room has done it. You come to a particular situation that is really painful, and you take that dump truck of un-ish, undealt with unforgiveness, and you dump it onto your friend or your wife or your child. So, we got to pay attention to Jesus because that's the fuel. That's why I wanted to start there. That's all the energy that I need to do something that's very hard. Hey, I'd rather give 10 bucks out of 100 than do this, wouldn't you? This is hard. But I got to look to Jesus, and then I've got to first, before I look to the person who has really offended me, I've got to look to myself. I've got to watch out, I've got to pay attention to myself. Third thing, pay attention to your forgiveness of others. Now so, so much more could be said here, so I want to just focus on two words, verse three. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, first word, rebuke. rebuke. If he repents, forgive. So rebuke and forgive. First, when you're now paying it, you you slow down. Now you're going to pay attention to the person who hurt you. You're going to rebuke. Forgiveness requires remembering. If you really want to forgive somebody, the first thing you're going to have to do is remember it, not forget it. You have to bring it out. You have to bring it out into the open. It's a rebuke. Before you can forgive, you must remember, you must give voice to what has been done. This is important because we're not talking about cheap forgiveness that even gets peddled inside the churches. Oh, forgive and forget. Have you ever noticed that never works? I mean, if I tell you you've really been wounded, hey, let's just forgive and forget. Does it, do you go, yeah, been, that's the key that's unlocked all this bitterness. No. You remember. You go home. You remember. I remember. Christian counselor Adam Young, again, I'll send some resources. You cannot forgive what has not been named. Why? You're going to hold on to it. You're going to say forgive and forget, but you never named it. You never brought it out into the light. And so it's sitting there in your soul like a root. In order to forgive others, there must be a place, there must be space to speak out loud the wrong that was done to you. Has to to happen. Now, a lot of times it's going to happen in front of the other person but sometimes because of circumstances or other reasons that you can't say it to the other person. And that, that happens. But you still have to say it out loud. You can't say, well, my mother's dead and I really need to forgive her, but she's dead. No, you've got to say it out loud. Somebody's physically harmed you. Maybe you can't be in their presence anymore, but you've got to have a space. you got to have a way to say, hey, this is what happened to me, and I'm saying it out loud. You can't begin to let something go until you've let it out. A few years ago, there was an article written from a sec, in a secular blog site. Here's the title of the article. To Hell with Forgiveness Culture. Very interesting article. I'll paraphrase just a few words that this woman said. I'm sick of a Christian-influenced culture where people can abuse you, yet the offender never has to face the gravity of their deeds. I'm sick of the platitudes of peace, love, and light. All they do is fill up an empty space without offering any substance. See, that's the forgive and forgive. That fills up a space, but it's not, there's no substance to it. It didn't change me in any way. Except they fill up a space without offering any substance except to the offender who uses it as a shield against all fallout. You ever been in that situation? This is a painful situation to be in. You've been wounded, especially inside the Christian culture, and the person who's the offender say, Well, why can't you forgive me, forget? And forget? It's like a shield against their wrongdoing and they turn it around on you and say, well, I think there's some, some root of bitterness in you. Why would you bring that back up? It's pain, painful. And I say with this woman, to hell with that. That's not what Jesus is talking about in Luke 16, 17. He's saying rebuke. He's saying bring it out into the light. If you want to let it go, you've got to let it out. Let me give you a Bible illustration. Genesis and Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Thrown into a pit, sold into slavery into Egypt. Has a terrible time down there. Goes to jail down there, falsely accused. 22 years later, his life kind of turns around. He becomes somebody in Egypt, and there's a famine that brings his brothers back to Egypt. Now, these brothers have been holding on to what they've done for 22 years imagine carrying that joseph is now 22 years older when he meets his brothers and they don't recognize him at the beginning 22 years it's a long time to hold on to something when joseph revealed himself to his brothers listen this is what he said I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. As for you, you meant evil. You hear that? When he says that, when you read that, you think, come on, Joseph, forgive and forget. My gosh, it's been 22 years. Does that come to your mind? I hope it doesn't. He's got to let it out. He's got to say, I'm, I'm the person who got wounded. My name is Joseph. You threw me into a well. You sold me into slavery. You meant evil for me. The way Joseph is going to let go of this, the way healing's going to happen between him and his, he and his brother, if there's any chance for it, is he let it out. The truth sets people free. You know this. And so there's got to be some place you bring it out into the light. That's, it may still be a disaster because there's other things involved, but you've got to have a place that you let it out. I, can't, I cannot stress that enough. But the problem is that it's painful. Right? It was painful for Joseph to remember. I and mean, he could have just said, forgive and forget I won't reveal myself, or I'll say, "Ah, it's no big deal. I mean, I'm over that. That was 22 years ago. Look what's happened. Good things have happened. No, no. Adam Young, many of us would rather spend a week in jail than say out loud how we have specifically been harmed. We go to great lengths to avoid truthfully acknowledging how our hearts have been wounded Additionally, we prefer forgive and forget because it appears to be quick. Let's move on. Adam, Adam's young again. Forgiveness is not a moment. It's a process. It's not a frame. It's a film. Kirk Thomas, Christian psychologist. Too often we frame forgiveness as something that consists of a two-and-a-half-second single act which happens at a moment in time. Once it's done, it's done. This is an attempt to avoid the emotional stress that remembering fosters. I don't want to remember it, and I don't want to remember it with you, so I just want to forgive and forget. Like it's, and it's, hey, do you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. Okay, two and a half seconds later, it's, that's, that's like it's done. It's not a frame. It's a film if my father wounds me when I'm eight years old, and he dies when I'm 20, I'm still forgiving him when I'm 60, because new things with that wound come up in my life, and I go, I didn't realize that's how I was going to treat my child or my grandchild. you hear what I'm saying? It's going to be a, a, a film. It's not going to be, well, I just did that, and then it's all over. No. A lot of little sins are going to be like that, but there's some real deep wounds that are going to be a film, not a frame. So you don't want to get into a conversation with somebody who just wants to say, let's make it a frame. Second word, forgive, means to grant release from payment. When we pray to Jesus, forgive us our debts, what, what we are praying for is, Don't make us pay, right? So, as we extend forgiveness to others, part of that, part of it, is releasing them from payment. Now, I want to be clear here. This doesn't mean there are no consequences or boundaries that get established because of the wounding that's been done. But it does mean that so, at some level you're going to pay for the pain. In a book called Bold Love, psychologist Dan, Christian psychologist Dan Allender, Christian theologian Trimper Longman. I could do a whole sermon on this. They ha- at the end of their book they talk about how, you, how to forgive an evil person, how to forgive a fool, and how to forgive a normal sinner. It's a little different each time. Tori tin boom, like in forgiveness, to letting go of a rope attached to a big bell. Maybe that imagery is helpful. When you let go of the rope, the bell keeps ringing because momentum is still at work. However, she says, if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and to eventually stop. You let go of the rope by not continuing to bring it to mind. I know you do this. You get in this argument in your head. You've had a thousand times with that person. And you just say, I've got to stop that. And you begin to memorize scripture. You do other things to move away from that. You, you begin to let go ro- of the rope by never taking pleasure in the other person's pain. Oh, he deserved that. You let go of the rope by not giving it oxygen by bringing it back up into conversation. How often does that happen maybe in a marriage? Let's close here. Tim Keller. Many people say forgiveness feels like a kind of death. Yes. But it is a death which leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong death of bitterness. Forgiveness means bearing the cost so that you can reach out in love to seek your enemy's renewal and change. I want to pray for us, but I want to give one challenge here, is this is a a lot harder than finances, don't you think? Some of you are like, bring back the finances. And what happened to Ruth? I still want to go back to Ruth. (laughs) But this this is hard. This is ground-level, hand-to-hand combat that every single person in this room can think of the thing that's wounded them, and they bring it up in your mind right now. It happens all of us so here's my request is that you take some time to think about this and then find somebody to talk about it with not saying go find the person that's wounded you necessarily but it could be a spouse it could be a, a, a mom and a child it could be you and a friend saying hey, I heard what he said, and oh, this just got under my skin. I don't think that's right, or, or yes, I needed to hear that. Whatever that is, you, you need some place to begin to process it. So if you have any kind of bitter roots, there's some exposure to the light, and you can get healing. So you're not quite in the same frame in a week or a year as you are right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you say, so we trust, if we just have the tiniest amount of faith, the tiniest amount of forgiveness, recognition of forgiveness from you, is enough for us to turn and learn how to work towards forgiveness towards each other. So help us we desperately pray for your help to to see you better, to see ourselves better, see what's happening underneath in the root system of our hearts, and then to know how to bring these things out into the light so that they die. Forgiveness is extended. Lord, everybody has their own pain, and you have the capacity to reach in and address that, and I pray that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.